You're listening to Once, episode 200, Operation Mongoose. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. I'm Aaron. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. We've got the whole gang here to talk about this great season finale episode. And we've got the split into a more thematic approach where we're discussing not every scene in detail or discussing this chronologically necessarily, but Approaching the main themes, because with five of us now in the podcast, we want to make sure that we all have the opportunity to give our opinions, our thoughts, our theories and such, and really hit the main points of this. So yes, we're going to miss some points, but you are welcome to continue the conversation in the comments for this episode or over at the forums, and that's all at oncepodcast.com. I want to hear from each of you starting this conversation off. What is your favorite moment from the episode? Hunter? Um, the scene with Charming and Evil Snow White, and he goes, I will always find you. <laughs> I will always find you. What? You- <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was excellent that they made sure to get that in there. <laughs> I will always find you. <laughs> I think my favorite was seeing Henry take the quill. That whole moment with the quill and the little book falling out and then seeing him just feeling drawn toward the quill. And that moment, I, I get goosebumps every time I see that. That's my favorite moment from this episode. Erin, how about you? I really have a love-hate relationship with my favorite moment, but I really <laughs> liked the last, the very last scene. I liked the dialogue between Emma and Regina, and then I liked the sacrifice that was made. Mm-hmm. Jeremy? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the main point of the whole episode. I think that was my favorite, the sacrifice moment. Possibly, if I can risk countering, oh, so many things that I have said over the years and <laughs> risk getting a little on the mushy side, specifically when she finally told Hook she loved him. I thought yeah. that was a really nice moment. She's always crying when she says, I love you. Has anybody (laughs) noticed that? (laughs) I had major deja vu of when Neil was falling through the portal and she was like, I love you. And yeah. I know. Oh, wait, wrong. Wrong. (laughs) Jacqueline, what's your favorite moment? I think my favorite moment was probably those first moments when Henry was sucked into the Enchanted Forest. Because I think we've been waiting a very long time to see Henry in the Enchanted Forest because he's the one person who's never been there, but probably the person who should have been there, you know, all along. And it was great to see him realize where he was and to pick up that sword. And, you know, he's going on his own little adventure. And I just I loved Henry so much in this episode. Henry was very brave in this episode, I thought. Not that he's not brave. He was, but in a brave way. (laughs) Well, considering this takes place, what, like a year since the story first started type thing? He seems very grown up. You're saying since this season started? No, from like the whole beginning of the show. 
if you think about it. It's only been like a year and a half, hasn't it? No, it's been longer than that. Yeah, according to Adam and Eddie, when we started Frozen, I believe we are somewhere in 2013, according to them. Keb thinks they're totally wrong, but... (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> but according to them, we're somewhere in 2013. Well, they skipped at least a year. Yeah, there was the moment yeah, when the Ryan missing Henry year. Ryan. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I keep forgetting. I really need to go back and rewatch all the seasons again before this next season starts. I but, think I might do that this summer. Mm, that is a random question I had: is how old is Henry supposed to be? Because for all the time they've tried to skip, he's clearly even older, and he can tackle people. And be hit in the head with things. And apparently drive a car. Just not park <laughs> well, it too well. not very well, yeah. After one <laughs> lesson, he can drive a car and not kill anybody, so. <laughs> Good job, Henry. Well, let's start our themes here with talking about the author's backstory. Yes, I think like everybody knew we'd get an author backstory at some point. So it was great to see that. And in our initial reactions, when we did it live there for the finale party, which was a blast, we missed you. Guys, uh, you guys, fellow co-hosts, as well as you out there listening to us right now, we missed you. But Rose was totally right about the dates and Disney because this was Christmas. It said December 1966. There was Jingle Bell Rock playing in the background. There was a Christmas tree decoration. And the letter that Isaac received was dated December 15, 1966, Mm -hmm. which is the day that Walt Disney died. Oh, wow. So... It is that author that died making this authorship role suddenly available again. Hmm. That's cute. Yeah. It's <laughs> just a, good... a cute little Easter egg that like only we would pick up people who are actually like attentively watching and Googling dates, but right. it's cute. <laughs> it's like the ultimate hidden Mickey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They invoked the Disney clause. <laughs> That's like worth it the hundred Mickeys. <laughs> There was an ABC logo on one of those TVs in the shop. That was a nice little hidden thing. Was it a current ABC logo or an ABC logo from, like, how long has ABC been around? Well, uh, ABC is one of the original channels, I believe. Like, the the main channels we know. So, the Dark Ages. And it was an old-style logo. Right. It was the circle with ABC in the middle. Oh, okay. So, whether... I didn't think to check what the logo looked like back oh, then for yeah. abc i mean their logo hasn't changed that much <laughs> there's only so many things you can do with three letters yeah and especially and in, <laughs> in black and white i'm looking online in black and white or in color i see some really old logos now looking online but yeah it looks like from the 1960s the logo looked essentially the same as it does now if you were to flatten it and put it in only black and white it looks about the same the circle with abc Safe to say they've got some experts. <laughs> and one of the other interesting things here that I looked up is we saw two addresses on that envelope from mm. Star Publishing. One was the address for Star Publishing, and the other is the address for this TV shop or this appliances shop. And Isaac's business address is 968 East 14th Street, Brooklyn, New York. I looked that up, as I do, and it's actually a house. <laughs> <laughs> and at first, that seems like, ah, why'd they pick this house? Or did they just pull some random address? It's one of Woody Allen's former homes. Yeah. And Woody Allen is a favorite for Kitsis and Horowitz. That's funny and kind of creepy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my thought. Do you know all his addresses? Do you drive by a lot? <laughs> just wondering. 
No, but I do know where he's eating right now. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> the address for Star Publishing, however, was to a corner shop in New York that nothing all that interesting there, except that there has been an actor movement conservatory there, which is a faculty for or a facility for teaching actors. And that's kind of interesting, might have some connection with some of the Once Upon a Time cast or one of them, maybe or maybe no connection at all, but no famous person that we know of or that I could recognize came from that uh, actor's movement studio. So I don't know why they chose that address. Maybe one of them had some other relationship with it in some way. Or one of the writers, maybe. Yeah. Might have been the actual address of where they filmed. I mean, that was an interesting room. What do you guys think about Isaac's backstory? I love seeing him from our world. I think it's from our world, at least, our realm. Yeah, yeah I did <laughs> and, say our world. I, yeah, because yeah, I, I love that he's not from the Enchanted Forest, so he had a different view going into everything. Like, he didn't grow up there. I think, for me, the, the author backstory itself was, it was fine. What I thought was really interesting is how self-aware it was. Uh, we've been talking a lot about this at the forums, but the author backstory and the author himself is just incredibly meta and is a total insertion for Adam and Eddie themselves. <laughs> if you guys follow Adam Horowitz on Twitter, he's very famous for, you know, hashtag no spoilers whenever you ask him a question about anything. <laughs> so when Isaac told, you know, Regina's number one fan, no spoilers in relation to whether or not she was going to get a happy ending. I think <laughs> I laughed for five minutes straight <laughs> because I have been on the receiving end of that. No spoilers line many times. And uh, it, it was interesting just the way they decided to kind of depict this author as themselves and the way in which they are telling the story and the way Isaac told his story. I thought it was interesting to say the least. Yeah. And speaking of Horowitz inserting himself in the story, I know in the initial reactions, I said, I thought I saw Jane Espenson in the crowd for Isaac's gathering in the alternate reality. This is skipping ahead a little bit, but it ended up not being Jane Espenson. But then when we were or anyone who looked it, like her actually at all, it, it was just a girl with dark hair and glasses. And at first, it was so quick when we saw it on Sunday that I thought, "What was that, Jane Espenson?" The one I thought, in case you're wondering, it's the girl that had the pins. I love Regina or Long Live Regina. That's the one that I thought might have been Jane Espenson at a glance. But also watching the episode tonight, Jenny joined us for the rewatch. And she pointed out there was someone in the audience that looked kind of like Adam Horowitz. It wasn't. And when you look more closely, it's not. But at a glance, it did look kind of like Adam Horowitz. They should have just filled the room with cast and crew. Well, not yeah, cast. That I mean, that would have been awkward. <laughs> <laughs> They've done, um, I remember um, in Buffy on the musical episode, they had a couple of writers slash producers singing. So that, that was... Mm -hmm. Like, and you didn't know necessarily that they were those people until you watched, you know, the special features. But that's always, it's always cool when they do stuff like that. In the initial reactions, I mentioned that Isaac's having to choose the pen reminded me of Lost. I got the names wrong. It's not when Ben had to choose something. It was when Locke had to choose something. Richard came 
and brought some items to a young Locke, and Locke was supposed mm. to choose one of them, and that signified something. Not that I remember. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was thinking of. And that was quickly corrected. I think even during the chat room, uh, during the initial reactions, I just couldn't see it because we had a lot of things oh, going on. During I feel the like a real before. Lost fan again. Yeah. My thing with the, the pen is, does the pen make the author or does the author make the pen? What happens if you choose another one? I think you aren't the author. Right. It was a test. Yeah, I think that's kind of like when... I don't know who in the initial reactions likened it to Harry Potter, but mm-hmm. it's like the the wand chooses the wizard, mm. right? Yeah, Jeremy so pointed yeah. that out. Yeah. But so then this kind of- opens up the whole question. I know I'm skipping ahead because now the pen is broken. Yeah. And I, I think Henry remains author in name, but he doesn't have any powers of the author because it comes from the pen and the ink. Well, you know... Yeah, nobody should have the power to change reality, which apparently you can't do anyway. So, he, of course, he had to break it. Wouldn't want to. Wouldn't want to have the power to do what he can't do. <laughs> and if that sounds stupid and confusing, that's kind of a hint at how I feel about the way this went. Well, we'll get to we'll get to Henry's role <laughs> later on too, because that is one of our points to discuss. There were. There were some really cool Easter eggs in this whole scene of choosing the author. Besides those other Easter eggs we brought out, The Apprentice was there and he said, actually several times in this episode, he said, the time has come. And just there talking to Isaac, he said, the time has come and the time has come. The time has come to stop selling televisions. (laughs) The time has come to take on the most important job. In all the realms. Now, this is really cool. Yeah, I was excited when I read this in your notes. (laughs) I stumbled across this. Timothy Weber, who plays the the apprentice, also played the carpenter in a miniseries TV show called Alice in 2009. Oh, I almost watched that. Is is that the sci-fi one? (laughs) Uh, No, I don't think no, I don't think so. Um, but in the carpenter, remember there's or the role of the carpenter in Alice through the looking glass. There's this poem or this portion that's the walrus and the carpenter. And it starts off with the time has come, said the, the walrus, walrus said. to the carpenter. Yeah. Said, to talk of many things. <laughs> of shoes and shifts and sealing wax. Of cabbages and kings. Oh, wow. Why the sea is boiling hot. Yeah, that's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) But you rhymed, so you get the points anyway. No, you're reading from an unfinished manuscript. (laughs) See, I noticed that line right away because I get that sing-songy poem in my head all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tried to make Siri do it the other day, and she wouldn't, but... um... (laughs) (laughs) So... Is that one of those things, though, that probably we notice, and then the guys that wrote it are like, oh, hey, cool. <laughs> no, I think I think that's where some of the casting maybe influences the script a mm-hmm. little bit, or just maybe not necessarily the cast themselves, but the person you pick <laughs> they call influences say, some of it. You're very good at saying that thing. Say it. Say well, the thing. It, it's kind of like uh, one of... Our favorite TV shows between Jeremy and I was Stargate SG-1, mm-hmm. and it uses MacGyver, or Richard Dean mm-hmm. Anderson, but who was also MacGyver in the 80s. And there are little MacGyver references 
in Stargate SG-1 because Richard Dean Anderson was known first for his role as MacGyver. And I think it's that kind of thing that they bring into this. And if this was an accident, I would be surprised. But it's a really nice little Easter egg. They do stuff like that. Like I remember sending, before I was podcasting with you guys, I remember sending you um, research about the books that were behind Bell in the library. And a bunch of them were books that had been made into movies that Emily Duravin starred in. And it's like, that can't be a coincidence. There were like four of them. <laughs> well, and if you think about it, Patrick Fli- Fischler, who plays the author Isaac, he they put him in 1960s. And one of his more famous roles was on Mad Men in season two, which is set in the 1960s. And Hunter and I actually talked about that in our spoiler segment because we got pictures of him uh, for the promo shoot in the 1960s. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense because he played a character on Mad Men. And Jeremy, I'm putting you on the spot here, I know. But in Lost, when we see Patrick Fischler's character as that annoying security guy in Lost. (laughs) Phil. Phil, yeah. Was that the 60s or was that the 70s in Lost? I forget the actual dates in Lost. Uh, It was the 70s. Yeah, I think it was. Okay, But it was like early 70s, I think, maybe. So the... He makes the comment, Isaac makes the comment, he says, I've never been farther than Scarsdale. And the prince is just like, yes, I know. <laughs> like, like, how do they know so much about him? I mean, I guess it's this here. Oh, and here's a thing. Is this, I think I'm going to say the answer is no, but is this time travel? Does the apprentice time travel? Well, they've got that door. No, also, I don't think it so is. Does, okay. Right. Because they've said in the past, outside of the show, Adam and Eddie have said that time runs concurrently between realms. They kind of threw us for a loop with the whole some realms are frozen in certain eras because they are stories. But yeah. they've said that between the Enchanted Forest and our world, time mm-hmm. runs concurrently. And since it wasn't fictional TV shop, it was actually our <laughs> world. <laughs> then I guess we've just got the 30-year... 28-year curse, freeze, whatever, to jump over. So, does the author not age? Was he frozen? I guess he was in the book. Everyone's got a way around aging in this show. Um, Yeah, so they chose him pretty carefully, I guess. Um, Didn't do a great job, by the way, just saying. (laughs) So, I guess my question would be, why do they not replace him Instead of locking him in the book later. Maybe the only way to... Maybe it's like the Slayer in Buffy. The only way for <laughs> to get a new one is if the old one dies. But he didn't die this time. Unto each generation, an author is born. Isaac's still alive. <laughs> well, I think oh, the yeah. only two ways for him to not be the author anymore is either to die, like Aaron said, or he has to break... The fundamental rule of yeah. authorship, which is giving himself his own happy ending. Mm. And because he hadn't done that in the Enchanted Forest, they couldn't, he wasn't stripped of his authorship until they put him in the book. So it was kind of like there was all of this uh, author quill ink just swirling mm. around looking for someone <laughs> new to tether itself to, and it found <laughs> Henry. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My thing with that is why didn't they take Cruella's hair and then get the dye out of her hair? I really thought they would do that at some point. That's how I thought that they were going to be able to continue with the book or write with the book was if they did something with her hair. 
Because they made a point of showing what happened when the ink spilled. Well, hey, you don't even need ink. Right. You just need blood of someone who's kind of heroish, villainish. Just blood. <laughs> and they Straight need specific blood. blood. Sort of. Doesn't that beg the question, how have they been getting ink for however many centuries? Yes. I mean, are they going around and bleeding heroes? Just like, please offer up your blood to us so we can record your stories. I mean, it's kind of incredibly twisted. I'm sure Rumpelstiltskin has track marks, okay? <laughs> heroes bleed all the time. All you have to do is fall around. <laughs> okay. Okay, now do you understand how our laughing fits happen on the spoiler oh, segments? Yeah. <laughs> Which we include sometimes in bloopers for our special Patreon contributors. And you know, as long as I'm mentioning our contributors, I want to take this moment to thank them for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. David Newland, Lisa Slack, Tracy Anderson, Daniel Clark, and our 15 backers on Patreon. Thank you very much for your kind support of the podcast throughout the season, even during the hiatus as well. And we're going to be shifting the way that we do Patreon, that uh, we will be encouraging several of you who are donating directly to our site to switch over to Patreon because what we're going to do is change Patreon instead of being per episode to make it per month so that way we know exactly how much we're earning it's a little odd the way it works you can set a budget for yourself but we don't get to see what that budget is so we don't know actually how much we're raising so we might go out and spend money for DVDs or to review a movie or something and not realize we don't have that So we're going to shift that over, but at the same time, we're also going to start publishing some exclusives to our contributors. So when you donate to the episode, and it will be as little as a dollar per month or as much as 50 or or $100 per month if you want, or you could donate even more than that. You can set whatever amount you want, but we'll start releasing special things like bloopers from (laughs) episodes and uh, some other fun stuff that we'll be releasing exclusive to our contributors It'll be really easy to do through Patreon, and I'll be figuring out a way I can do that with everyone who's subscribed directly to our site. But if you want to switch over, that's fine. We get a little bit less money from Patreon because they take 10% of what you give instead of the normal 3 3.5% that our website takes when you donate through it. Uh, that's for the payment processing and stuff. But still, we want this opportunity to be able to give you some bonus content and some things that you might enjoy like unedited copies of the episodes that you can rewatch the video <laughs> see our before talk and that. after talk <laughs> and see yeah some of the craziness but anyway you can check out all of those options over at oncepodcast.com slash sponsor and huge thanks to david newland lisa slack tracy anderson daniel clark and our 15 backers on patreon for your support we could not do this without you thank you thank you and I should say, if we raise enough, whenever the series finale happens, we would like to have it on a replica of the Jolly Roger in the bay outside of Steveston. So, <laughs> um, so donations are appreciated. He might be exaggerating, but if we could swing that. If we had enough we donated, we could do that. I will fly out for that. <laughs> what we, we are looking at what we might do for a series finale because Jenny and I will be moving out west this summer we plan to and that'll put us closer to california and so we might do something like a series finale in disneyland or near disneyland or maybe we could track down where the jolly roger is the the boat that they use and see if we could rent the deck of the boat and have our finale <laughs> party on there that would be awesome too you know we'll be looking at options like that for whenever the series ends to do something really special after season 86 <laughs> 
I have a kind of a theory that it's going to be the next season, but um, for later. So the alternate reality was created because of the authors writing this book. He didn't just change stories. He created a new story, a fictional alternate reality that what happened in that world did not actually happen, but everyone had memories of it. So let's dig into this alternate reality part. But first, what were the expectations set for the entire season leading up to this point? What were the stakes? That heroes would lose and villains would win. (laughs) As we've heard of people looking for the author, as we've heard of writing new stories, and is it even possible with some significant leanings I will say, I'm just realizing toward, no, it's not possible. But, you know, Regina standing in the, well, Zelina's room, telling her that she's going to write her out of existence. All these things that we've been sort of made to be concerned with, they're all suggestions, strong suggestions that the author could alter the real world, and the things that he was writing in the Enchanted Forest were altering the real world. Not the past, but he was actually writing things into the real world. So that's what we've been set up to be expecting for the entire rest of the year. I don't see a contradiction, because Mm -hmm. there are two aspects of this. Yes, there's that aspect where he can influence the real world around him, and in different realms, there is that aspect. Mm -hmm. But the book he wrote was this side project. Remember in Regina's vault, he saw that picture and he kind of referenced it as a passion project or a side project, some writings had, he'd been playing with. I think that what he wrote in the Heroes and Villains book was that whole completely different story, not just changing their their present condition, but giving them a whole different backstory, giving them an artificial world. He did influence his own reality, though. He wrote his own happy ending in our world and put everyone else in an alternate reality that's just in a fictional book. Well, So it was two different things, but I don't see them as contradicting with each other. Well, how did he write himself? He did change the past, his own past in the real world, which they said flat out he couldn't do. Ah, I don't see... That he changed his past. I mean, yes, he became famous, but that could just be... Henry woke up and he was famous. He changed his past. You don't have to change the past for that. You just have to change what everyone thinks. But that's really tricky as well, because he effectively changed not only everybody in Storybrooke, he changed everybody outside of right. Storybrooke. And he wrote the books into existence. There, there, there's your answer, Jeremy. <sighs> The pen is mightier than the, well, everything. Except that the, it's really complicated. And I get what Jeremy is saying because I have a lot of issues in the end with how this alternate reality was resolved. I, I really enjoyed watching it, but like the idea that it never happened. So therefore anything that we saw didn't happen at all, except the fact that Henry undid it all that still happened. But it's isn't it a paradox? If Henry undid all of the AU, then none of the AU happened, including Henry's insertion into the AU, meaning he'd never undid it, which means it still happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I've, I've been wrestling with this for, like, 72 hours. It's kind of driving me That's nuts. That's funny. I have a little less trouble with magic paradoxes than I do with science fiction paradoxes. 
uh, just because of mad magic, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I can see what you and mean. And I, I don't like that. Apparently, he can not only change fairy tale land people like Regina and Snow and Charming, he can change people in the real world. That to me doesn't jive. Well, you want a real paradox here. He said, as he was finishing the book, that the quill and ink can only change a past that it created. Now, the quill did also create a lot of everyone else's past, like sending Lily to our world and that whole thing that happened with Lily and other stuff that the author started influencing instead of just recording. The quill did do that, not the ink, though that he's using today. So maybe if he still had some of that original ink, then he could have changed the past that he created. So there's a little paradox. Are you trying to say it wasn't the quill, it was the ink? (laughs) He could have potentially saved Neil by undoing a lot of things. I mean, really changed a lot of stuff by going back and changing the past that that quill did right, but you didn't have that ink for but it. Then there's I, the recording versus creating aspect that isn't super clear. I thought that he made a comment about how th- what happens in the past had to have stayed there. So like Neil dying and everything like that. So he could change the memories, but he can't change what actually happened. Right, because he he didn't create that past. Neil's death was not created by the quill. He didn't do that at all. That was Zelina. But he did create the past of sorry Lily being cast to our world and the darkness being cast into Lily and other stories that we don't know everything that he influenced and started changing. Mm, so why not change reality then? Why put them into his alternate universe? Maybe because it's too much of a conflict and because he didn't have that ink. He had new ink. And because they could play with it even more than with time travel. Yeah. Why Why do you think the ink matters? He just needs dark savior ink. I mean, it, it seems to be that... Oh, is that all? <laughs> it's Yeah, it's just dark savior ink, right? That's what created the alternate universe. And if all they're using is savior ink for the rest of the recording, I don't think it's, you know, oh, he doesn't have the right ink. Well, he said the quill and ink can only change a past that it created. So he did mention them together. So the ink that he got from Emma, or really from Lily, Dark Savior ink, is something that he can't, that he hasn't written a past with it yet. And then he writes it, and that's how Henry is able to change it. What was he using when he made Snow White and Prince Charming abduct Lily? Because that's... And all that's, I mean, it's not an alternate history, but it's something that Snow and Charming wouldn't have done if the author hadn't prompted and pushed and written it. And it's a dark event that kind of feels very out of character for them, which you would think would require dark savior ink. And that's exactly my point is that he could have probably changed that. Although there is the conflict between there's that past that he did write with the quill. And there's a present that was not written, but was a consequence of the past. So it is a paradox, but the way I see it is he wasn't even considering changing any past. He just wanted to write a new story for everybody. The only reason they needed 
well, Lily's blood, they thought it was Emma's blood, was because of her connection to Storybrooke. He was writing with something a little more normal in the Enchanted Forest, was my impression. Yeah. And then darkness, blah, blah, because darkness has been bandied about a lot, and I don't think there are any clear rules on what exactly they're talking about with that. Maybe next season. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Like, like I said, I enjoyed watching the AU. I thought it was a, I thought it was interesting. I thought there was a lot of comedy and, you know, reversals of fortune, which were hilarious. But when I stopped to actually think about it and this whole idea that for some reason, the author can affect change in a land that is story, Cruella de Vil's world, he can literally change a land that isn't changing itself and isn't moving in time and is completely stagnant but you know nothing in the au stuck and and doesn't never never even happened it's like i don't understand the rules of your world adam and eddie and it's getting a little frustrating jacqueline that's your problem you thought too much about it well (laughs) (laughs) it just it sounded forever like they were going to alter storybrooke and the actual people in it right rather than putting them in the holodeck i mean the (laughs) the book and just kind of having a little fantasy there for a while but that's kind of the difference i think between what isaac wanted and what the villains in Storybrooke wanted. The villains just yeah. wanted them to write him a new, to write him, Grumble Stiltskin. Um, the villains just wanted a new, like a happy ending in their current state. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't want him to go back and rewrite and make it, make it as if things didn't happen, especially after Regina came to that conclusion with Zelina that that, that wasn't something she was going to do. Maybe mm-hmm. part of it was also that since he was writing his own Mm-hmm. happy ending he didn't yeah. want any of them around yeah regardless yeah. of how it worked and how it was supposed to work i think if you look at it from his perspective it got him what he wanted it sort of got some of them sort of what they wanted but mostly he was just having fun and getting them out of the way because it's still like it was really evident still in this alternate reality um, other than maybe snow white i don't think she wavered at all but it was pretty mm-hmm. evident that they were still able to go back to their old ways. Uh, Regina was pretty great in this episode, which is accurate of how she is currently in Storybrooke. She's not totally like Emma yet, but she's not, you know, the Regina that we knew before. And as Bandit Snow or whoever she was, Bandit Regina, like Bandit Snow still did some things that were not totally on the up and up, like stealing from the rich and like so that she could eat and stuff. Um so she was pretty gray, but like Rumpelstiltskin was still totally willing to kill a little boy or whatever, a young boy. And it just seemed like it did not take much of a push to get those characters back to where they started. Mm-hmm. Except, like I said, Snow White, I don't think she wavered. I thought she did, right? I was convinced. And then she was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and even as far as what this story was being heroes lose and villains win. I thought that that was going to mean the villains remained villains and won and had happiness of some kind. And the heroes were oppressed instead. It was sort of like, I don't know if I saw happy endings period. I saw villains turn to heroes and heroes turn to villains 
they said no hero could have a happy ending, but the only happy ending I saw was Rumpelstiltskins, who was now not a villain, but was a hero. And Zelina was in the process of getting her happy ending. Right, and she was whiny. She wasn't a hero, but she wasn't a villain either. And I would say with Hook, it was pretty, like, Hook is the one who always called Rumpel a coward, right? And then he was a coward in the alternate reality. And Blackbeard kind of had his happy ending as he was, like, in charge of the (laughs) ship again. Yeah, right. Right, but that's not actually what Hook's happy ending is. And this is something that, again, is a little confusing because we've been told that what this whole season was going to be was looking at what happens if villains win and like jeremy said i expected then the villains to remain villains regina's happy ending as regina the villain is that she's gotten the best of snow white and prince charming but also that she's somehow found love again after daniel rumples is that he gets to keep all his power and he has his son and his wife Mm -hmm. hook's happy ending as of season four (laughs) is emma but she is locked in a tower. He's a groveling ship boy. But he's not a villain anymore. Right. No, but he cracked me up. <laughs> yes. He's, uh, he's not, but he was. Did you and see if- him hold that sword backwards? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to club you with my sword. <laughs> like, he held it backwards. I mean, he was a pirate. Every pirate knows how to hold a sword. Okay, that's all I have to say on that. <laughs> well... I mean, Aaron, you said Hook's not a villain anymore, but neither is Regina. But that's what I mean. She didn't have – she was still pretty gray in this episode. She wasn't good. She wasn't bad. Yeah, she wasn't on her path to actually getting her happy ending. I think that what I'm hearing is the same thing that I was struggling a lot with this episode is I kept looking at this episode from the perspective of roles are reversed and the story continues as before. So, like, meaning that Snow White is now the queen, Regina's now the bandit, and that whole, yes, there are parallels, certainly, but it's not the same story with just different people in different places. So, Regina was on a path to not get her happy ending at all. Isaac was seeing Regina as, well, we don't really know because he, you know, no spoilers, but Isaac was basically seeing (laughs) Regina as not a villain and so therefore she would not get her happy ending and uh, even though snow was queen snow was not getting her happy ending because she wasn't really with the man she loved or she didn't realize she was with the man she loved yeah so it was all a little confusing but really fun to watch snow isn't straight up hero anymore though i mean that was the big watershed moment of this arc is learning that snow isn't exactly a hero anymore Right. Because but, because of the Lily incident. I, I don't know. I think that they kind of muddled the lines. And while I appreciate it, it's hard to look at this alternate universe and go, okay, what exactly is happening with the heroes and villains? Because Robin Hood, he was getting a, hap- a happy ending. Maybe not the happy ending that real Robin Hood wanted, but he was in love. He was in love with Selena. They were going to get married. They did get married, even though he locked eyes with Regina at the church. And he's hero category, isn't he? So why isn't he suffering? I think he realized that he loved Regina, even though he was standing up there saying, I do to yeah. And he still married Zelina. So then, right, I know. But he gave that look and he then ran to her rescue so she wouldn't die alone. And 
I think that's where now he's going to have to be like, okay, that's not his happy ending with Zelina anymore. But also realize this. A lot of these things that we saw happen in this episode in the alternate universe happened because of Henry. Like, I don't think Robin and Regina would have ever met in the story. It was because of Henry. Remember, Regina abandoned him there in the woods. She went to rob this thing. And he said, Henry said something like, well, I'll find help or something like that. He, I assume he then went to get Robin because how else did Robin know to come Uh to rescue Regina like that? So I think because also uh, in the tavern afterward, when when Henry found Regina again, he came up and said something about like, my plan worked. And it sounds like he influenced Robin finding Regina. So they might not have ever run into each other. Therefore, Robin would have never gotten his true happy ending to be with Regina. He's with Zelina, which yeah, they can make it work, but that's not the happy ending. We know that he's supposed to get maybe in the sto- the original story, snow and charming killed Regina. Yeah, I would, think so yeah and live darkly ever after yeah or regina (laughs) escapes and then lives alone Mm -hmm. i think that um jacqueline brought up a really good point though about that it's all muddled between the heroes and the villains and there's no clear way that the heroes got their not happy ending and there's no clear way that the villains got their happy ending and i think that that is a really good point because that's kind of this entire show there is no one character in this show who has never done anything villainous and is supposed to be a hero and there is no one villain in this show that is was well maybe a villain but maybe peter pan but um <laughs> who has been like 100% completely a villain and has never shown you know an ounce of humanity so that's kind of the show is all about like that, you know, everybody puts people into categories and then people disappoint those categories. So like even Emma is supposed to be the savior and then she disappoints that category by even holding a gun to Lily, whether she pulled the trigger or not, she's going against that category. So it's, I think that that could be what the, what the writers are trying to do is it showing that it doesn't matter if you get your air quote happy ending because it's there's always going to be gray waters around that. I think the reason that I, for example, keep trying to go so black and white on this is because that's how Isaac has talked about it and how he seemed to be writing his book. So that's kind of more what I expected in his story. But even in his story, it got really gray and different. Yeah. And the same people were winning. It's just now they were evil. <laughs> I think all Isaac really cared about when he was writing that book was Isaac. Well, yeah. I think that's probably safe to say that's all Isaac ever cares about anymore. Yeah. Well, remember, he went back to Rumpel after Regina said that she didn't need him. She didn't want anything. She got everything she wanted. And he said, well, I didn't. That's when right. he went back to Rumpel and then wrote the book. Yeah. He talked like a true villain at the end. Yeah. About getting everything he wanted and... That's a pretty common theme among the villains. (laughs) I noticed in this episode that some actors are better than others at playing the total opposite of their current character. (laughs) Not going to throw stones. I'm just going to make that observation. Well, who do you think did it really well? That's hilarious. Um, I liked Regina's. Regina was good. She was pretty comfortable. Yeah. And every once in a while... So she sounded like a teenager. Yes. She's very good at doing that though. I've like, she, I has, I swear has had to have taken a lot of voice. 
she she's even talked about um how she's like purposely with her voice changing it when she's supposed to be playing young Regina and mm-hmm. the dark queen voice and yeah, she did a good job and I think Hook did a really good job <laughs> as a cowardly <laughs> uh you know deckhand. Deckhand, yeah. I liked seeing Snow White as evil, but then there's some points where I was just like not doing it for me. Huh. Yeah, she's she's too Ginny. That's funny. I thought she did a really creepy good job. Yeah. <laughs> because she wasn't like Regina when she's evil queen, her voice lowers and she gets very menacing and dark. But Ginny did it so that in some cases she was still kind of light and airy, but with this sense that she's probably going to rip out your heart and crush it in front of you. Right. <laughs> so that's why I really liked it. Well, then she tried in a couple of spots. I noticed that she tried to pull in things that we remember of her from like when she was younger and stuff and like looks that she had on her face and things that she would say, I forget the one line, but then I'm just like, Ooh, that just doesn't work. Yeah. Snow white being kind of, um, aggressive like that is not untrue of original snow white either. She was very, you know, well now you have direct orders from me, even as the nice snow white. So yeah, that's maybe it's, that's because it wasn't much of a change because she can already play play both sides very well i was surprised they didn't call her snow black (laughs) (laughs) that wouldn't make much sense now would it because her skin (laughs) is white as snow that's how she got the name yeah but she was dressed in all black she's black hair black knights and a black (laughs) castle and a black logo and black hair well steven who was at our finale party pointed out he kind of would have liked to see her still doing things like dressing all in white and looking good but then kind of twisting it and doing these really evil things which could have been an interesting yeah that's true nuance to it as well i was not a huge fan of white rumple but um (laughs) he looked really funny riding that horse he did and he he was just kind of (laughs) awkward a little bit with i think it's i don't think it was the acting i think it's because it's so awkward to hear that character say those things well it was as cheesy as that little scene they showed to open the episode that ended up being on the tv in the 60s how many significant episodes do we have now that have started on a horse (laughs) <laughs> I think most of the significant episodes, finales and premieres, have started with a horse. Season one premiere, mm-hmm. season two premiere. Mm-hmm. Not season three. Oh, yeah. I don't, we, we don't need to think about that too long. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> both of these parts of the season finale started with a horse. I loved Rumpelstiltskin's comment. This comes with no price. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so good. Because that's his famous line is, all magic comes with a price. <laughs> By the way, Hooks being a, a an employee, basically, of Blackbeard is actually something that's in one of the original Peter Pan novels. That mm, had yeah. this little side comment that said that oh, yeah. Peter Pan was a, um, a, a oh, I forget the actual title for it, but um, basically like a boatsman or employed by Blackbeard. A deckhand. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. It wasn't actually that. Peter Pan was? Yeah, uh, Jacqueline, you said it. What was it? Boatswain? It's a Boatswain. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that, but I do know that now from watching the trailer for Pan that's coming out this summer. Yep. Yeah. A movie that I hope we'll get to review for you. Yes. So Aaron brought up 
the night Rumple, and I actually liked Rumple, but I've been a fan of Rumple for four years. So seeing him be You're Rumple's a girl, I, I, <laughs> I am. It's never going to change. Um, so being a fan of Rumple, I like seeing him as kind of this stand-in for Prince Charming, and I love that they dressed Bobby Carlyle basically in Josh Dallas's clothes. It was excellent. <laughs> Um, but one of the things that I thought was interesting, and Aaron kind of mentioned this a little bit ago, was this idea that their true selves kept peeking out from behind this false reality. Because we saw Rumpel, in the end, make what is essentially a selfish choice mm-hmm. by going after Henry and choosing to try and kill Henry, even though, in order to save his his happy ending. As he does. The one, as he does. <laughs> Bless him. Um, <laughs> the reason why I'm bringing this up, though, is because it it kind of bothers me that the core of these characters didn't change except in Emma. Because the author robbed her of her saviorhood. He completely took it away. But even even though this alternate reality was completely fictional and the real characters kept you know, peeking out from behind the, their alternate versions, except for Emma, whose status as true love savior was completely taken away. And I thought that kind of bothered me because her DNA didn't change. She's still Emma Swan, daughter of Snow White and Prince Charming. She should still be the savior. True-ish, except that in this <laughs> Ish. story, he seemed to be able to just manipulate who had magic and who didn't. Well, because this is an alternate universe, and things that happened in that universe did not affect the real world. Like people dying. Yeah. Doc and Hook, Hook. died right. in that alternate universe. And Lily. I think it would be safe to say. Yeah, probably yeah. Lily too. She probably drowned. Well, she got a cannonball in the throat, too. But, but if yeah. the death of two characters isn't carried through, I don't know. It just it feels like Emma should still retain her her saviorhood, especially since she is still Emma Swan of the world that we know. She She has all her memories. She knows exactly who she is. She knows exactly where they are. She's Emma. So I feel like she should be Emma. <laughs> yeah. She is, though, like, if uh, she's not the product of true love there because Snow didn't love it there, Charming. But, right, there she's not because Snow White and Prince Charming aren't together. But she's not from there. Right. She's from the real Enchanted Forest, from the real Storybrooke. She's real Emma. She's not alternate universe Emma. So right. her fundamentals shouldn't be changed. Or she's alternate universe Emma, but with real Emma's memories. The way I saw it was that when the author re- wrote this version of the story, it started from where they left off in Storybrooke. So their whole backstory was just written in so that Emma really is still Snow White and Charming's daughter, except their memories have been wiped and they don't remember that. I agree with that, but that shouldn't change Emma's fundamental core as true love incarnate. I mean, I guess, okay, let me put it this way. She may not be the savior because there is no dark curse, and the only reason she's the savior is because Rumpel put a drop of that true love potion on the dark curse scroll. She should still be true love incarnate, which means she should be able to still wield her true love magic, because she's still Emma Swan. 
it's like Superman with <laughs> being on the planet Krypton. No special abilities. Being on our world, special abilities. Emma being in this fictional world, no special abilities. Being in our world, special abilities. And Snow can rip out hearts and open doors. <laughs> Love is an open door. Whoa. Speaking of Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Regina must have been channeling her inner Elsa when she <laughs> jumped in front of Henry. Yeah. That was so Frozen. That's all I could think about. It almost ruined, like... <laughs> The seriousness of the moment for yeah, me. Yeah, I thought when that happened, I, I really? thought a little bit of Frozen, but I thought more of the line, an act of true love. And I thought, oh, yeah. that's what's going to break the curse or this this spell. I'm so used to saying break the curse with Once Upon a Time. But it's going to break this storyline and bring them out of the book is that she had an act of true love. <laughs> yeah. But that's not actually what saved everyone it was but instead henry, right. henry had to well, dip a quill in her bleeding hand <laughs> and then write a thing but also Mom, I need she, some of your blood she didn't love henry in this reality i think she just saved him because it was the right thing to do i don't oh. think she like because she didn't know him enough that's right. kind of like when snow was cursed and didn't know charming like that the true love's kiss didn't work because it wasn't true love mm-hmm. so right. but it was at least an act it was a, a self-sacrifice if nothing else but yeah, and Henry wrote that in. He said, the hero's sacrifice. Mm-hmm. There were some cool things that happened at that prison island. Little Easter eggs there. The The thing that they were doing was the uh, Wookiee prisoner gag. It's from <laughs> Star Wars where Han Solo brought the Wookiee in, Chewbacca, as a prisoner. And that was their way of getting into the secret installation spoiler by the way and so that's what oh, no. for those of you who haven't seen star wars yeah. if you haven't seen star wars i haven't and you've just ruined it for me so then you need to get off that the was internet. the whole thing but there's <laughs> also henry is a prisoner from <laughs> henry is a prisoner from kashik which is the wookie home world i'm sure our friend jeff roney from once upon a time fan podcast was just going crazy over all of this because he is a really big Star Wars geek. <laughs> and I'm sure he loved the Star Wars references and he probably picked up a lot more than I did. But those were a couple that really stood out. The Evil Queen's round table that she had was black and gray <laughs> and had the, the logo in the middle. But it had the same icons around the sides as the Charming's round table that we've seen in other episodes before. But it's just like this alternate universe mm-hmm. version of it, the darker evil side. When the dark dwarves first showed up, I was fairly creeped out. <laughs> it reminded me of um, <laughs> it reminded me of Mirror Mirror when they like in the in the there's a scene in Mirror Mirror which is you know a Snow White remake or whatever with Julia Roberts and Lily Collins I think are the main actors. The dwarves kind of swarm the guy who's stuck in the net and steal all of his stuff. So it reminds me a lot of that. (laughs) Also grumpy, not that different in this reality. (laughs) (laughs) I love the one little look at Granny that we got. That she's dressed like in all black and glaring at people. It's just like that's With the red. Yeah. Yeah. She's not that different either. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) But we didn't get to see her in action. We only saw her sitting at the yeah. table. I wonder what she'd have been like if she changed into a wolf and was actually 
evil, yeah. evil. I kind of wonder where Ruby is. Did anyone else wonder where Ruby was? Well, she's filming and stuff. Other I mean, yes, I know where <laughs> Megan Ori is, but <laughs> and I know that Ruby normally is on Forgotten Character Island, but it, <laughs> that's what we call it over in the forums. Um, I did kind of wonder where Ruby was because she should have been part of the the round table. Maybe she was out scouting or something, but there was no room for her in the story. <laughs> Isaac doesn't know Ruby because she's on Forgotten Character Island, so yes. he doesn't include her in his book. Geppetto could have been there, like whittling something that might have been at one time Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> He's making Pinocchio like into a shiv or something. <laughs> oh my! And for all of those sneaky fairy fans out there. The fairies had dark fairy dust. See, I think that's just the one thing Isaac couldn't change, and the sneaky fairy is still sneaky, (laughs) and my gosh, we are going to get that in season five. I am holding on to this headcanon until the day this show goes off the air. (laughs) And probably beyond, because you won't see it before And probably beyond. (laughs) Yep. I liked the parallel from what Snow White said. When she was talking to Emma, she said, hope is a very powerful thing. That ties right back into what she said also to Emma back in season one when they were talking about Henry. And he said, hope is a very powerful thing. And this whole series is based on the idea of hope and giving yeah. people hope. Mm-hmm. This There were a lot of things even in this in this episode that reminded me again of, of well, because it was kind of reversed. Henry then had to convince his other mom that she was really his mom and that, you know, there was this whole adoption and abandonment and, you know, it reminded me a lot of Henry trying to do that with Emma in season one. <laughs> and he just kept calling her mom and he kept scaring her by yelling, mom. I loved that. <laughs> the chipped cup made it in again too. And I Aww. thought that was going to be one of those things kind of like we've seen before where he picks it up and he would suddenly remember things or recognize the other reality or, you know, have Mm -hmm. flashbacks to things and realize that he's actually in this alternate universe that they've created so that they could find each other lost. But no, none of that happened. I kept wondering if Rumpel was having memories or anything because the way they wrote it and the way Bobby Carlyle played it, I kept going, he's remembering. Perceptive. That's what Isaac said. Perceptive in all worlds. And then he (laughs) Rumble was just like, huh? <laughs> so do you guys think that the prophecy we heard way, way, way back in the episode Manhattan has finally officially come true about Henry being Rumpel's undoing? If it hasn't already come true before this, then yes, I think it's come true now. Okay. In some way or another. In one of these worlds, because yes. <laughs> right, because Henry literally undid everything. The entire right. alternate reality. And then because of that, Rumple got his darkness hat sucked. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he is completely undone. Right. He's he's a white heart blank slate, apparently. Yeah. Belle's going to have to feed him. <laughs> well, he's in a magically induced coma and apparently the apprentice put some sort of like protection over him or something until we can figure out what to do with him. Until we decide whether his contract is being renewed. <laughs> no, they're, they're good for five years. I'm pretty sure. 
Hmm. They usually go in three years increments. See, well, Bobby signed a five-year back in season one. Yeah, oh. they sign five years at first, and then they do three years after that, I believe. Um, he oh. was like the only one who signed a five-year, but oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, it w- they ABC gave him a five-year like straight out of the gate. As soon as they saw that Once Upon a Time was a major hit, he got a five-year contract. So none nice. of the other actors have five-year contracts. I I don't believe so. I think they renewed them at the end of three. Oh, because um, usually they're in three-year contracts. Yeah, it usually goes every yeah. three years. No, yeah, um, right. Robert Carlyle got one right out of the gate in season one when they saw how big the show was and how big he was going to be. The question on people's mind right now, is, over in the forums at least, is whether or not, not that we won't um, see Robert Carlyle anymore, but how much we are going to see Rumpel. A lot of people are speculating that he is going to be put on ice for a while in the first half of season five, and that he won't make an appearance until maybe the last little bit of the first half of the arc. Which is crazy mm. because that's what happened with the second half of season three, too, is he was gone for a while. Oh, yeah. We were all trying to figure out where is Rumpel and everything, but he ended up being in the basement of Zelina's little storm shed there. <laughs> it's possible like uh, that he just doesn't want to work as much as like these these episodes take a very long time to film it is a very big time commitment he's got little kids at home like it's possible that he just wants like less and like showrunners do that all the time like Shonda Rhimes does that especially like she's known for it with Grey's like because of all of the women that are having babies and wanting to be with their babies and it's possible that he's just asked them for less because it's quite a like he's playing two characters it's quite a commitment. Right. And he's the one who has to go through all the makeup process more so than really anybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it's very possible that Rumpel is going to be sidelined for a little bit. We're going to maybe get a shot of him, quote unquote, asleep somewhere in the shop with Belle fretting, saying, you know, I'll figure out how to wake him up. But then season five is really going to be about the search for Emma and Rumpel's story is going to be put on hold for a while. Yeah, so Belle doesn't love Will. Is she going to... Then just... what was the point of bringing him over? <laughs> I Yes, I oh, want to know that we too. All know. I have a lot of anger over Will Scarlet <laughs> and how they treated him. I think, you know, honestly, I think it's one of the few things... He, what, he didn't even make an appearance in this episode. Right, and I think it's probably one of the few things that this fandom on, as a whole agrees on right now is that their treatment of Will this season is just... Let's go with Strange, because... <laughs> I thought they would have used him so much more. Yeah. What was the point? <sighs> well, I think the point was, he was everybody's favorite in Wonderland, and he's hilarious. Right. So yeah. why not bring some hilarious favorite back into once, but then they didn't use any of it. Like, it was so oh, pointless. I was excited, but he hasn't seemed himself to me. Right, he wasn't even Will Scarlet. Like, if you hadn't watched Wonderland and fallen in love with him there then you probably were like, who is this random forest dude who keeps showing up inexplicably? Right. Yeah, I thought they would have used him so much more. When I heard that they were bringing him, he was joining the cast, I was so excited. And then they like barely even used him at all this season. Well, and Hunter, I mean, when you and I were doing spoilers, you and I theorized like right out of the gate when we heard that Michael Saka was coming over that it meant we were getting Jafar 
at right. some point, that we would be getting Jafar very, very soon, because that was the way that we rationalized it of Michael Saka coming over and not Sean McGuire, who plays Robin Hood, getting series contract was, oh, yeah. well, we have to be getting Jafar. And, you know, <laughs> no, we're not getting Jafar at all. Apparently, We, we didn't even get Wonderland at all. Right. Like, and I don't even think he mentioned Wonderland other than the little piece of paper that he stole from the book. Yeah. And I mean, we still have no idea what happened to Anastasia. And the whole Scarlet Beauty relationship came straight out of left field. They didn't do <sighs> anything with it. They didn't even tell us how they got together, even though in an interview, um, Adam and Eddie did say that we would hear about it, if not see it. And we didn't. And so will like i feel bad for the actor because what was he doing all season well getting paid sitting and <laughs> getting paid <laughs> <laughs> like i don't even think he had a couple funny one-liners but nothing nothing compared to wonderland and there could be stuff that they had to cut out too that maybe involved him a lot more and as mm. these things go they often end up with more story than they can fit into 43 and a half minutes. You really have a high view of what's on the editor's floor. <laughs> I I would ag- I would agree with you Daniel if if I wasn't following filming every single day mm. for months. <laughs> yeah, but we know who's on set. And you don't bring a big character over and make a big announcement that he's joining a cast. And then not even like have story arcs with him involved. Now that I think is the result of bad planning that they didn't use him more and didn't give his backstory to how he got here. Yeah, so that could still be coming, right? Well, do do you guys think this is another case of what they did in season two, where like I've just heard in an interview, Megan Ori said, you know, she was originally planned to be in Storybrooke with David for the whole season while Snow and Emma were in the Enchanted Forest. And then they got Neverland rights, so they completely changed the story nine episodes in, had Emma and Snow come back, and then they started the Peter Pan thing. And it's like maybe they – because I I truly (laughs) – that that writer's table cut from the DVDs – I would not be surprised if that's exactly how it happened with the whole, oh, you guys should do Frozen because that it's just it was kind of like, oh, well, Frozen's really big right now. Why don't we do that? It'll give us good ratings. New idea for influencing the writing of Once Upon a Time. Get a pizza delivery job. near the writers. (laughs) Jacqueline, we're looking at you. (laughs) I would never leave. I would literally walk in, sit down, pull out a piece of paper and be like, okay, look, we're going to talk about this show. Yeah. And And we're going to talk about it. (laughs) They would have, yeah, they drag me out by my hair eventually, but I would get my say in. I mean, I guess they'd be polite mounted police. (laughs) Wonderland. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I don't think they write in BC. (laughs) They don't write in Canada. I don't think so. Well, that explains it. They probably write at the studios in Hollywood. Wonderland <laughs> ended in like January. Was it January? It, Wonderland ended before Once even came back from winter hiatus last mm. year. Because I remember I was doing Wonderland podcasts and then you guys asked me to do Once podcasts when that ended. But Once hadn't come back on yet. Right. So Wonderland ended way before they even had started the whole second half of last season. And that is when they announced that Michael was going to be joining the cast or in and around there. Like it wasn't that long after. So it was April, April. So then I think they just didn't, they just 
had a plan and then frozen that frozen idea happened. And so then boom. I agree because we know that the ending we saw at the end of season three, Elsa coming out of the urn was not the original ending. They had another one that they've tucked away somewhere until they can use it. And they haven't told us what it is. So I don't actually know what this other ending was, but then it was like, they got the rights to do frozen um, and instantly decided to go that route. So maybe there was a plan with will that we never saw because in interviews, I was going back through some spoiler interviews today and you know, they did say that we were going to see how will got to storybook kind of his story but told in a way that if you didn't watch Wonderland, that would be okay. And slowly, whenever Will comes up in interviews, the questions have become, or the answers have become, well, that's a story we want to tell eventually. Mm. So I do think something changed, and it was probably because of Frozen. Unless that big ending was just supposed to be Marion turns into Zelina. <laughs> yeah, that could have been. I think they don't plan that far ahead. That's like a whole season almost ahead that they would have been planning yeah well that seemed to be planned as amazing as it is but i just wonder if they were going to tell us a little bit sooner than they did yeah maybe we might have already seen that special ending i remember that now that you say it and we might see some of this information on extras for the season four blu-rays and dvds which as of yet there is no release date for them and you can't pre-order them yet but once there is a pre-order available You'll be able to order it through our link at oncepodcast.com slash season four. But we do know just from past history that usually they release the DVDs and Blu-rays around the middle of August. Like I'm remembering one of the releases was August 25th. I think there was another that was August 10th or somewhere around then. So uh, we do actually have a release date but you can't pre-order it yet. That's the thing. We've seen pre-orders available as early as, uh, I think, February for the Season 3 pre-order. But still, right now, you can't pre-order from Amazon or from anywhere else. But that release date will be August 18th. And we've seen the cover, which looks really cool, too. It's a nice frozen cover, really tying mm. in nicely there. and looking neat and tying in with some of the previous covers we've seen like the apple and yeah and uh, regina <laughs> or snow behind it but when that's available you can purchase it through our link at oncepodcast.com slash season four and when you do that that helps support the podcast so we'd really appreciate it if you do that uh, because then that gives us a portion of your purchase and we appreciate that i really enjoyed the frozen days <laughs> but you just gotta let it go now hmm that was cold. Oh, gosh. But it never bothered you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can that be the last Frozen joke ever on this podcast? Hey, we've been pretty good. We haven't made any. <laughs> it's been the first time in forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So is the new author now, which I thought was... Really cool. And we've been theorizing this for a while and mm -hmm. saying we'd love to see him become the new author. And there was another Harry Potter reference here with his breaking the quill was just like Harry Potter at the end of all of Harry Potter breaking the wand. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> breaking the wand because he basically said the same thing that no one should have that much power. And that was the most powerful wand. And Corbin, our 
friend who helped sort the feedback had also pointed out this parallel with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Or in the book, just the Deathly Hallows. (laughs) (laughs) So Henry's still an author, even though he broke the quill. Because the the apprentice did say, we chose the right one. Can you be the author if you can't actually do what the author is supposed to do? Well, I'll have to give him a new quill, and then he'll still have the same power that doesn't really exist. Or an IBM (laughs) selectors. But there are no enchanted trees. They'll upgrade the IBM. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I suppose he could whip out crayons or whatever and start recording. But does that make you the... I don't know. It's so confusing <laughs> because you need the quill and the ink to, after you are chosen to be the author, those are your writing tools. He has ink because he can always go get some blood from mommy dearest, I guess, but <laughs> <laughs> there are no enchanted trees. There's going to be a police report. I can see it now. Lily's going to file a restraining <laughs> order against Henry because he keeps poking her in the arm. <laughs> I just need a little bit more. (laughs) Here's how I think it works is that the role of the author is a job and it passes from person to person. The quill and ink are special tools for the job, but not necessarily the only tools usable. Like it could be that the sorcerer or the apprentice give Henry a new quill or just say, okay, yeah, you can do this in Google Docs. That's fine, too. <laughs> in Google Docs? See, that's why I had the question about the pen in the beginning. Because when he picked up the quill and the light came out, they're like, oh, that means you're the author. Well, if he picked up another pen and the same light came out because he's supposed to be the author, does that mean that that one's his writing tool? Right. Hmm. But the apprentice referred to resisting the temptation of the quill. Right. So I don't think I don't think he's going to get a new quill. In my head, I don't see that the quill is the main part of or the main tool that it could be another pen. It's just the power behind it, such as Henry. Yeah, but the quill does have power as as Isaac put it. The pen is mightier than the well, everything. But also the person who uses it has power because of it. Like Isaac was not a magical being he has no magical power without the quill he just knows how to use that tool but he was chosen for that role so henry now is chosen for this role and he will be the author but will we actually see him writing things or will this be something like after this is over we're going to see like old henry writing down the stories that he remembers that could be it too Oh, that could be an interesting ending to this. Okay, I'm predicting it here. <laughs> ending for the series. Old Henry. Re- oh, this is so Wonderland. But old Henry reading these stories to his children or grandchildren. And they're the stories that he wrote down. And the stories that it's a book that he wrote of these stories since he's the author. But he's reading them to his children. And then he ends by reading the end. Closes the book. And the series is over. I'm calling it. That's that's, that's the series finale. Well, it's very Wonderland, and well, it's also very Charmed. That I is know. exactly how the Charmed series finale ended. Exactly. People, yeah, people have been predicting something like that for a really long time. Not to 
like burst your bubble. Well, then let's hope but, it doesn't happen. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be Henry at his whatever age they end up ending the show. And he's he's sitting in a castle somewhere in the Enchanted Forest with his entire family surrounding him. And he opens up the storybook and reads to them. That's what I think the final scene will be. But mm. I don't I don't necessarily think it's going to be old Henry. Maybe he opens up the storybook to read to his like little sister or brother since I don't like I just don't see the series going for a super many more years. So like it could be that, you know, everyone's found their happy ending. And I don't think I don't think it's going to go on long enough for that to mean that Henry has a child, but it could go on long enough to mean that Emma has another child or Regina has another child or something. In the meantime, would you like to learn how to be the author yourself or to make magic in movies or web apps Mm. or programming or finances, business, marketing, management, or something like that? If you want to learn something new, I've got a great thing to suggest to you. And that is our sponsor, lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash once. When you sign up, you get a free 10-day trial. You get unlimited access to all of the stuff that they have. And they have a lot of stuff. There's no way you could have time to go through all of it, but it has such great content that is showing you how to write your own web app or a mobile app or design things or create music with your computer or with other things or learn business tools. There is so much you can learn with lynda.com. It's amazing. Hundreds of thousands of videos and all taught by great teachers, professionals in these fields, and you'll be able to learn some amazing things Check it out at lynda.com slash once. I really think you're going to love it. And don't think of this as just, oh, this is only for business people. Hey, if you want a hobby, like you just want to learn how to make home videos better, or you want to learn how to do stop animation or 3D animation. I started out playing with 3D animation when I was a kid, and I loved it. And I learned a lot of valuable things from that. And had a blast with that. So you could learn things like that too. Learn professional software, learn other software out there that's available and make amazing things from what you learn. Check it out at lynda.com slash once. There's even a plan where you can download the lessons to your mobile device so you could watch them when you're on a plane, when you're riding the bus, when someone else is driving, you can watch these videos and learn while on the road. It's much more productive than playing angry birds so check it out lynda.com slash once daniel matthew paul in the chat room wants to know if it has a clicker (laughs) (laughs) no it doesn't have a clicker but it does bring the profound complications of the universe right into your living room (laughs) in many different hues and shades yes (laughs) What do you think about Lily's father? Ugh. Marlon. Rumpelstiltskin. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. Adam Eddy, she didn't say that. He has to be involved in the story somehow because he is intertwined with every character. Oh, but he's not, not a dragon. Not that way. <laughs> no, he cannot turn himself into a dragon and mate with Maleficent. Hmm. <laughs> And there we have the awkward thing that is necessary of whoever we predict to be Lily's father. That was kind of an eye roll moment for me. Like it was a Maleficent just doesn't remember who it is. 
it could have been a human and not a dragon. Um, um. <laughs> she said it was. <laughs> <laughs> she said it was done in dragon form, though. So unless we're talking some <laughs> weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, the <laughs> hashtag family show. <laughs> okay, likely candidates here, though. The dragon from season two. I know we talked about this a little in the initial reactions, and also at the party, we continued talking about it, and the breakfast after the party, we continued talking about it because it would be so nice to validate that character, make that character have more purpose than just to be, quote, tased, unquote. <laughs> magical taser yeah magic removing taser but uh it it's also probably related in some way to merlin but remember that when this season started we were led to believe not only did we believe we were led to believe that the sorcerer and the author were the same person and it was blue fairy that pointed out no they're two very different people and now we've learned even the Sorcerer and the Apprentice, Jeremy, are two different people. Oh, goodness. Can we let that one just rest now? <laughs> yes. And and Balefire did go to Neverland. So I'm just, and <laughs> her was Tamara. So I'm just admitting my failures, too. <laughs> well, okay. Hey, they did bring back the magical cuff thingy. So maybe they'll bring yeah. back the taser and try and use Do it on Emma. Do not break the seal on season two any further. I warn you. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if maybe Merlin and Yen Sid are two different people. And Yen Sid might be uh, her father. That name does not necessarily have to be. Has that been mentioned in once yet? It has been written down. Okay. I kind of think the apprentice is Yen Sid and that... Merlin uh, is obviously the sorcerer and is Lily's father. No, I could see the apprentice being Yen Sid. Yeah, that yeah. being his name. Sure. I mean, he even he looks exactly like Yen Sid. And then they turned him into a mouse. He, they turned him into Mickey. And, you know, Yen Sid is just Disney backwards. Yeah. So I think he's Yen Sid. But the other popular theory at the forums right now is that it's not Merlin, but that it could be Arthur, as in the king. Hmm. Um, because one of the things from Arthurian legend is that he's called Arthur Pendragon. Yep. And so obviously he's got the dragon there in his name mm. and maybe it's him. However, you don't normally set up a story where you have a missing father. And then in the very next scene, you have a big revelation about a big mysterious man without those two people being one and the same. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Merlin. In our chat room, as we're live streaming our recording here, Fish suggested something just at the same moment I was thinking this too. What if Charming killed Lily's father and gave his head to Midas back in season one? Oh, maybe. When David was filling in for James and killed that Ooh. dragon. But that's not going to be a really fun story for Lily to discover in season no. five. Would that just make her even more angry at Charming? At Charming. Want her revenge even more. You killed my dad. Now prepare to die. Except it was just a dragon. It wasn't really a very particular dragon. Yeah. What about what about Mushu? <laughs> yeah, there's that. Oh, yeah, but I'm not I mean, he's a lizard. <laughs> dragon. He's a, he I don't, don't do, do that, that tongue, tongue thing. thing. <laughs> uh. Um, we haven't seen Mulan though for a while. That could yeah. be could be a good way to bring her back from what did you call it? 
missing character world? Uh, forgotten or character island? Forgotten <laughs> character island. <laughs> the island of misfit characters. Well, whatever the case, this is going to be a plot point in season five, I'm sure. Both finding Lily's father and finding Merlin. And, I mean, they're going to be trying to find everybody. They got to find Emma. They got to find Merlin. They got to find Lily's father. Hopefully we'll see Maleficent again since she didn't make the yeah. finale for some reason. Yeah, surprising. She was filming a pilot. Just oh. uh, heads up. Adam actually answered that on Twitter. But okay. that, that means if the pilot gets picked up, she can't do once. It was not picked up. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So, huh. I feel like they need to work on their contracts. She was a big part of the season and she didn't get to be in the finale. Well, and hmm. speaking of contracts, Lily might become a regular character in season five. And this yeah. is purely my conjecture here because, like it. yeah, it was hinted that, well, I'm going to stick around to try and figure out who my dad is. She can even sit in diners and not kill people. I could also see her sticking around to help find Emma and balance out the magic. Well, I have a theory about that. Is it bunnies? <laughs> <laughs> Might be. <laughs> so, obviously, the big, I'm sure we all will all have a lot to say about it after I say this, but mm-hmm. I kind of have a theory about the scene where Emma became the dark one, air quote, um, just because we already know that Emma is like pure light magic or she might be depending on what words of what episodes we're choosing to believe at the time. <laughs> um, and so it, it was interesting. I was watching the magic swirl um, when it was with Regina. It was uh, swirling black, obviously, and and then the light blue. And um, and then they said, what's it doing? It's snuffing out the light. And so I assumed that that was what the dark was trying to snuff out the blue light. Um, then when it was swirling around Emma, the same thing was happening, but the blue never chi- – like the blue was never snuffed with Emma. The blue never disappeared, and even when Emma disappeared, she disappeared in a cloud of swirling blue and black magic. Hmm. Um, so I just have a theory that – you know, I don't – I'm not saying I want this to happen because it kind of makes the whole big, you know, finale part, you know, kind of uh, a misnomer, but um, – it would make sense to me a lot if the Dark One's magic was just balanced out by Emma's pure light magic and that she didn't actually become the Dark One. It would not necessarily make for a good season five unless they – but they've right. been known to do that, right? Like they <laughs> they built up to Elsa being the villain yeah. and then she wasn't. But Emma's name is now on the dagger. But right. she could still I, – I don't know. Like it could – be though that she's not as much a risk as people are thinking. She walks into Granny's and orders hot chocolate and she's like, no cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as evil as she gets. <laughs> I see it as being as going evil or just being dark. Like there's two to me, there's two separate distinctions. If she's dark, she's just like mean and grumpy and stuff like that. Evil, of course, is evil <laughs> and Wanting to cause a lot of damage. Do you think it could be like a like a discourse between the two back and forth? Like that it's a battle within her? Well, Rumpel kind of battled it. He wasn't necessarily completely always given over to being the Dark One. Right. I mean, Rumpel the Spinner definitely comes out when after Neil or Balefire drops through the the portal and he's digging in the ground screaming you know i changed my mind come back that's definitely not the dark one that's definitely rumple 
So I think that's actually a really good idea. I loved hearing the origin of the Dark One. Yes. Getting to know that story and long ago and maybe a a reference to Thor, Dark of the World, which makes <laughs> me wonder because the Thor sequel involves something that's very similar to this darkness that we saw in this episode. Hmm. Uh, so it makes me kind of wonder if Thor might make an appearance in some way in season five as this darkness stuff is now an issue. The origin kind of thing that you were talking about, that statement by the um, the apprentice made me, and I know I go to this show a lot, but it made me think of Buffy, which we do know Jane Espenson is a writer like from Buffy. Um, but so the, the quote was, long before hero stories began, the sorcerer battled the darkness. He tethered it to a human soul that could be controlled with the dagger. Um, and it just reminded me, and this was what I mentioned earlier, where I said, oh, I kind of have a theory that this might be the final season coming up, season five, um, just because um, it's very similar to the idea of Buffy's final season, which was the the first. She was battling the first evil that ever existed. And you learned a lot of past stuff that you didn't know before, but it's Joss Whedon, so it all fit perfectly in, and there was none of this, oh, but I don't understand the rules of this world. <laughs> um, and it, there was even, it's reminding me even of this, um, this episode where they find out that every slayer who was created to fight the darkness actually had darkness put in her so that she could be that much stronger against the darkness. Like it mixed with her blood so that her, that is what made her blood so um so strong against the darkness um so it just there was a lot in just his explanation which was only a few lines but that reminded me of that and this show is is never unlike buffy it's a little it's a little bit different genre but there's always so many similarities and it does have like a very prominent writer that is the same so i thought of buffy as well when the apprentice was talking but i also think that this is just one of those very archetypal co archetypical cosmological stories you know darkness lay heavy over the world and at that time there rose up somebody who mm -hmm. could fight the darkness by you know by putting the darkness someplace else um you know so i think it's just a very universal story mm -hmm. that joss whedon obviously plays with be and just subverts because he is joss whedon but <laughs> Um, yeah, I definitely thought of Buffy, but I also thought of if you've read the origins behind the Lord of the Rings, if you've read uh, Tolkien's giant book sort of explaining his world and about how one of the higher level beings, you know, decided to sing in discord and, and was eventually cast out Melkor. And, you know, that's just that's very prominent in this show as well. And that's what it reminded me of, too. So it's hmm. definitely more than just Buffy, too. <laughs> well, if the sorcerer had to, back then, tether the darkness to someone, what is he going to be able to do differently now that he couldn't have done before? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and how long will we have to wait? <laughs> is this going to be like a half-season arc or a full-season arc? They're going to make you wait a long, long time. They're going to carry this box to strange and mysterious oh, places geez. and making you wonder what is in that box. 
It's a paper that says, I know you're Balefire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of that, now we know in just a, yeah. that little comment to August, which was really awesome to see August in this episode, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we know how he learned. And that was that the apprentice visited him, told him all of this stuff. Now we finally know that. He was busy. I mean, he goes and he helps Lily out and then he goes and finds August. He's a busy apprentice. Just He just kind of forgot, you know, the most important person of the curse, you know. Yeah, he never bothered to check in on Emma. He's like <laughs> Jacob. He just goes and touches people on the shoulder. Mm. Yeah. Tells them their backstories. <laughs> Lost. <laughs> What a great scene, though, the scene where Emma, like, becomes the dark one, when she's uh, – I loved her exchange with Regina. I loved how emotional she is and, mm-hmm. uh, like, you've worked too hard. And that that friendship has just developed so nicely this season. I love it. I was fairly scared for the entire town. It was a really creepy scene before we knew what all that darkness was going to do. Mm-hmm. When they first said it's surrounding us, I thought – under the dome reference here that like the darkness had created a dome over them because we know (laughs) that they have this habit of creating new domes or arcs or borders in every season, (laughs) a new curse for anyone who leaves Storybrooke becomes a dark one. But um, I thought that's what they were going toward is that it's nighttime because the darkness has created this dome over them. That's not the direction they went with it. And by the way, speaking of under the dome, we do have our under the dome podcast it's over at under the dome radio it's part of noodle mix network hosted by wayne and troy under the dome did get renewed resurrection unfortunately didn't uh, but we do have the resurrection podcast as well over at resurrection revealed if you want to follow that up and agents of shield and agent carter were renewed and we have welcome to level com, our podcast over there about agents of shield agent carter and the whole marvel cinematic universe and they just covered the finale of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. too. So check that out over there. All of those podcasts that we have as part of Noodle Mix Network are at noodle.mx, and we'd love for you to be part of them. Oh, and don't forget Gallivant's coming back. Yes. I'm excited about that. I enjoyed Gallivant. Jenny and I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, there's things about it that are like really, and (laughs) stuff that in many ways is like, you really didn't need to put that into a family show. But it's still <laughs> you would call it a family show. It's still very enjoyable and fun music. I'll save my brain cells, thanks. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Wait, what? We'll have to do another podcast <laughs> when, after that show too. Yeah, yeah, we will. <laughs> do you, do you guys think that end game with this darkness could be that the sorcerer like kind of this is what I thought could have happened before the whole swirly Emma Regina scene. Like it could just evenly, <laughs> it could very easily evenly distribute itself among the people of the world or Storybrooke and then not really affect any of them. Hmm. Because we know Snow White's heart had a little bit of darkness in it. She's still Snow White. You mean the darkness, the dark one's curse? Yeah, the darkness that was all swirly. <laughs> oh, well. It was the ink. Oh, wait, no. It, it, it took Emma away, and I'm assuming now that it's inside of Emma. Now, I meant before, I thought maybe that that's what was going to oh. happen, and I wonder if that's what the sorcerer can make happen. Like, it only affects the person so much because it's all in one person. I kind of hope not. I mean, that could be, but that sounds really... Hmm. No, there's something about that I don't like. <laughs> But it still could happen. Yeah, and that's not, I don't think that's fitting with the direction of hope 
that they want to take this series of, okay, the sorcerer, in order to defeat the darkness, he tethered it to all the children of the world. Balloons <laughs> of darkness for all the children of the world. But the like kind of the theme of the show is that it depends what you do with it, right? Like Snow White had yeah. darkness in her heart and she has now kind of made amends for that. Uh, Hook and Regina have all had darkness in their heart and have since reformed. So it's almost just like we all have darkness anyway, which was pro- like pretty significant in this season. Like Emma would have been born with the potential for good and the potential for darkness. So, yeah, I don't know. I just thought that that that's the only thing I can fathom of it being completely destroyed. Well, I think it is going to be completely destroyed. I think they and... should find somebody who just laid an egg and take that egg and tether it there because <laughs> it can't be human. And then put a little like magical induced coma on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah, exactly. Before we get into our final random thoughts from this episode and where the <laughs> series might be going, I want to thank you for your kind reviews in iTunes. We didn't get any specifically in the last couple weeks or so, and we'd love some more reviews. By the way, last week, I mistakenly said that our review from uh, the lady in India was also from the person who sent in the feedback. No, those are two separate reviews. Mm. So we have at least two listeners in India. But I, I, <laughs> Hi, pulled, India. I pulled some stats here because I run the website, mypodcastreviews.com. If you're a podcaster, check it out. Uh, I think you'd really like it. But here are the stats of reviews we have These are reviews, not just you leave a rating like so many stars, but written reviews, which really help us a lot and mean a lot to us. We have one review from India, one from Spain, one from Ireland, two from Mexico, two from the Philippines, two from Norway, three from Brazil, three from Germany, four from New Zealand, 14 from the United Kingdom, 15 from Australia, 26 from Canada, and 308 from the United States of America. Thank you very much for your kind reviews. That is really encouraging. I mean, without reading these reviews, I might not have ever known that we had listeners in Norway or in Ireland. That is awesome. Thank you very much. If you haven't reviewed us yet in iTunes or Stitcher, then please click on those links over at oncepodcast.com. It's free and easy to do, and it does really help and encourage us as well. And while you're at it, review some other podcasts that you listen to. I'm sure they would really appreciate it as well. What are your last random thoughts about this episode and about the direction of the series as a whole? Erin? I'm excited uh, to see potentially Dark Emma. And I think I think that Jennifer Morrison will do a really good job playing a dark, a dark character. Yeah, I have no idea other than that. And I'm totally spoiler free. So Hunter, what do you think? I'm really liking how it felt more like a season one I, I towards the end and not finishing on going into what the new arc is going to be because I love, I don't know, I just mm. loved how it ended. Mm. It just, it brought me back to season one. It yeah. felt like that again. And if me, well, I do enjoy the show or I wouldn't be podcasting with you guys. Um, it's been getting a little dull, I want to say, the past couple seasons but this just made me feel like we were back at season one and the excitement i had for that Mm, that's true no cameo from a villain (laughs) yeah (laughs) i loved mark isham's score for this episode in the last couple episodes i i love soundtracks and mark isham is one of my favorite composers 
And his score for this episode and even the last couple ones have been really, really good. Like just really making me, I, I, I connect a lot with the music in movies. <laughs> and if it's horrible music in a movie, I often don't connect so well with the mm-hmm. movie. But I connect often with horrible movies, like horribly mm-hmm. done movies that have an awesome soundtrack. <laughs> like um, <clears throat> Dragon Wars. Awesome oh. soundtrack, horrible movie. <laughs> but I liked the movie because of the soundtrack somewhat. But uh, Mark Isham's score then for this episode was just great. The, the action, the intenseness of certain scenes and other aspects of it, just really exciting. And yeah, it does also bring me back to season one finale. I think for me, it's a close tie between season one finale and season four finale. They're both really good <laughs> to me and hard to say which one I like better. Season one will always win. Well, season one so will far. always win. So far. <laughs> but yeah, it was very, very good. At least uh, it was large. It was fluffy and fun, but it really kind of got down to business at the end, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Do you think The Apprentice is dead now? Not necessarily. No. He looked like yes. he died. He's mostly dead. Jacqueline, that was you, you said? <laughs> that, was, that was me. I say yes. What's considered a spoiler anymore? <laughs> well, I our, mean, our spoiler policy is anything known about future episodes or plots or anything known about the future of Once Upon a Time other than the fact that it's going to have a fifth season. Right. It's that there was a question and an answer in a hot seat that Hunter and I talked about last week. And it's about yes. this finale that just aired and it would answer your question because but the episode well, aired so i feel like it's not really a spoiler and you know what i'm talking about right i know exactly which one you're talking about yeah hunter knows what i'm talking about yeah and i think it kind of we got both w- right we did we got the we got both so i feel like it's not really a spoiler it's just that they haven't made it clear right but i i mean the way they answered the question and they said yes type thing Mm -hmm. instead of answering one way or the other i think we saw that before even this final scene you guys are being so vague and i can appreciate why hunter and i have our own language at this point when we have to (laughs) talk about this see i don't think that the writers even know what's going to happen next season so i don't think that there can be spoilers yet well there aren't spoilers they're taking a break they're coming back they've had a mini writers camp and they're about to have their very large writers camp soon yeah they'll start their filming for season five usually in july is when they start the new season filming Mm -hmm. so they'll have scripts by then they're already working on scripts and plot points now and the way shows go is if you're going to get a character off a show you usually do it in a season finale (laughs) (laughs) right so okay if this is a spoiler daniel i guess you can edit me out okay i don't think it is i don't think it is Okay, there was a hot seat interview released just before the finale in which um, the interviewer asked, will there be a death on Once Upon a Time in the season four finale? And Eddie Kitsis said there will be a temporary one and a permanent one. The temporary one was Hook. The permanent one is The Apprentice. Regina was also a temporary. Yeah, Hmm. although I think she was kind of on the edge. Yeah, I think it was right before she died. Right. But Hook really died, and I think The Apprentice really died, and that's what they were 
talking about in that interview. I really think he did look like he well, died. And honestly, every time the question is asked and I answer it, I forget that we saw him after Emma sent the darkness out of him. But we did. He talked. He talked about Merlin. Yeah. And then he seemed yeah. to die. Yeah. So I'll retract my statement. So then that leads to who will be the new apprentice. Hmm. Maybe Henry will be the new apprentice and the author. I think Emma's going to be the new apprentice. It's just going to be a very dark apprentice. <laughs> because I have questions about Merlin's goodness, let's say. Hmm. Yeah. Do you also think the Blue Fairy is evil? Well, absolutely. <laughs> and she will remain evil even after this show is off the air. <laughs> she will be manipulating people from behind the scenes forever. I've got a couple little neat Easter eggs I found in this episode while rewatching it. On the book, Heroes and Villains, on the back of it, there are a couple reviews. One of them says, Great reading ranges from knights slaying dragons to the fight of the common person against evil and oppression. Truly brilliant. And that was by Cheryl Marion. She is, that name, is the name of Once Upon a Time's art director. (laughs) Another review said, Heller, Isaac Heller was his name. And I'll mention more on that in a moment. Isaac Uh, Heller takes attack or be beaten ideologies to new heights in this heavy hitting first work. I had the sense that I learned something new about the fight against evil. That's from Keith Lau, who is once upon a time's illustrator Mm -hmm. or one of them. So neat. It's always neat to see the production team Mm -hmm. insert their names into these on that rack of books. When Henry found the heroes and villains book, was another book. It was called Hidden Informant. And there were several other books there. But that book, Hidden Informant, was the number seven best-selling hardcover in that newspaper when Isaac opened it up looking for uh, to see if he was on that list anymore. There was also an article in that paper that said, is the writing life a vocation or merely a career? <laughs> Maybe a little nice little nod to questions about Henry right now. Hmm. About the name Isaac Heller, Jacqueline, what do you know that might be tied with that last name especially? Well, probably the most um, prominent author that we would associate the name Heller with is Joseph Heller, who wrote the novel Catch-22, which if you know what a Catch-22 is, it's... Ah, it's once upon on, a time. I, it's, I know, because I'm like, how do I define this right now in the moment, like in 20 seconds? It's a paradox. Yeah, it's what Dictionary.com says is it's a frustrating situation in which one is trapped by contradictory regulations or conditions or any logical or paradoxical problem or situation. Right. So the main character is like trying to get out of the army because it's it's World War II by being insane. But because he knows that he's not really insane, he can't really be insane. And it's it goes on and on and on and on and. Um, I think that's probably why they chose that last name because of all the paradoxes. Yeah. Yeah, that fits really well. Kind of like August W. Booth. (laughs) Yeah. There was a Jack Sparrow reference in this episode. Actually, there were two of them that I caught. One was Emma's obvious Jack Sparrow reference to Hook, Mm -hmm. one that the fans have said for years. The other is that I noticed is at Isaac's book signing, there was a girl dressed up Exactly like Jack Sparrow. Oh. Hmm. So this might hopefully won't be too long, but um, I wanted to ask Hunter and Jacqueline about 
spoiler because so I don't know any spoilers going in. The only time I ever really did this season was when I was in Steveston watching them film, and even that there was a lot of CGI stuff that we didn't see. So as I was watching the scene with Emma and Regina, where Emma's becoming the dark one, I was like, I wonder, like, did people know about this? And what, what did it look like being filmed in Steveston? What did people think happened? So I just wanted to ask Hunter and Jacqueline about what was said about it, kind of, because I know what it's like to stand there and you get to see the scene over and over again by from different angles, but all of the darkness and stuff would have been CGI. So nobody would right. have really known what was happening. Well, they had – I mean, they filmed that entire sequence outside in Steveston, obviously, and yeah. people filmed the entire thing. So for about a month or so, we've known exactly what was going to happen in the finale. Yeah. Um, it was no surprise to us. <sighs> yeah. Actually, yeah, right. When we were watching the scene live, I remember thinking, okay, this can end now, but it was because I was like – I knew this was coming because um, the filming – the fan who filmed it filmed every single thing. So oh, we saw we saw the Captain Swan moment. It's like a ten minute video. It is. Um, and after the CGI part, after Emma is holding up the dagger and she stands there for a while, she actually Jennifer Morrison runs away, um, runs off screen, and then the scene continues. The right the darkness was all CGI, but you pretty much knew what was going on because you could hear all the dialogue. Oh, okay. Wow. That's like, they that fan broke major rules of yeah. being there. No. We weren't even allowed taking pictures while they were filming. We get a lot of it. I've seen a lot of them. I know, but it's I just... I have known the finale of every single season <laughs> since season one. Yeah. I know, and I understand, like that people can report on it, but it's just, they ask you not to do it. And it's kind of annoying that people do, but anyway, I think next year, if they do something like this, they should actually not allow the fans around so that everyone can just be shocked. They can't though. That's, they get a permit and they can't like they can't stop people from being on the sidewalks, unfortunately. They might do something and other TV shows have done this where they record something just to throw the fans off. Yeah. Yeah. The, they have in the past put up barriers, like black um, black barriers so that you can't see. So at the end yeah. of season 3A, we had a ton of photographs and and recordings of Rumpel stabbing Peter Pan and Peter Pan turning into Malcolm. But then they put up a lot of barriers so that you wouldn't see that when the scene picks back up, Rumpel has vanished. Uh Or we had, for the end of season three, we had a lot of reports about the Captain Swan moment, but then they put up a lot of barriers so you wouldn't see them kissing. (laughs) See, they did put up barriers when I was there, but it was just because there were paparazzis there that were being, like, speak of mounted police. They had to call them (laughs) on the paparazzis that were being really disrespectful, so... If we ever get to go to Steveston and take a group there, maybe for the series finale, maybe just for a visit, hey, we're going to be totally awesome about it, and you're going to love having us there in Steveston, (laughs) and it's going to be fun. And we're going to be really respectful, and we're going to follow all of the rules. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this has been a great season, I think. Yeah, sure, it's ups and downs, but still a very fun season. I think a good one for Once Upon a Time, certainly a good one for ABC since they're seeing that this show is doing well for them, picking up more viewers, in fact, with this season and being renewed for fifth season. And we'll see what the future will contain. 
This summer, we will have some special content coming out, like uh, maybe some feedback episodes, maybe some interviews if we can. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, though, Jenny and I are moving out west this summer, so schedule is going to be a bit odd, maybe. But certainly, uh, Jacqueline and Hunter will be coming to you with some spoilers as they get them, like after San Diego Comic-Con and some other things that they'll learn along the way. And we'll have a review of the Once Upon a Time Season 4 DVDs and Blu-rays when those are available. And you can pre-order when it's available through com slash Season 4. We've got some awesome stuff coming though and we'd love for you to be a part of that and ways that you can be part of it are one thing share the episode go to oncepodcast.com slash 200 tweet it share it on facebook share it on stumble upon reddit google plus basically everywhere you think it might be helpful to people please share the episode and we'd really appreciate that also send us your feedback for the upcoming episodes and all of our contact information is on the website at oncepodcast.com please connect with us on twitter at once podcast and each of us individually as well i'm daniel j lewis on twitter at the ramen noodle i'm jeremy laughlin on twitter at fleegon that's p-h-l-e-g-o-n i'm aaron and i'm on twitter at aaron j cruz i'm hunter hathaway on twitter at bit of pixie dust i'm jacqueline and you can follow me on twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87 this podcast would not be possible without our great team of helpers. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack writing our show notes, John Buchanan editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our great spoilers for these past several seasons, Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums, Keb managing our timeline. Check that out over at oncepodcast.com slash timeline, Aliascape moderating the chat room, and my fellow podcast co-host Jeremy Aaron Hunter and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me and providing such great content. I know that we've got this long hiatus coming up, but remember, hang in there. Don't let that heart turn to cold just yet. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our sponsors and contributors for this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be one of them, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash sponsor to make a one-time or automatic monthly donation and also check out lynda.com slash once. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash once. This podcast could not exist without your help. So thank you. You are really awesome. Thank you.